So we're continuing this week in this Down to Earth series, and we talked about uh, love last week. We're talking about humility this week, and then uh, next week is a lot of cantata weekend. We have big cantatas all weekend long, and uh, uh, yeah, and uh, you just heard another piece from it. Uh, so uh, come and be blessed, and then uh, the week after that, we're going to do uh, a Down to Earth Obedience. This is all uh, flowing out of the second chapter of Philippians, and so uh, that's kind of going to set our course as we move through this time. Uh, let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the sun that's come out this morning, for the way it warms us, and uh, we just ask that your spirit would be in the midst of us to warm us and bring light to our souls. Uh, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the, the passage out of Philippians today, we're kind of getting into the meat of it, and uh, like I said, this is really, uh, a lot of this is actually an old hymn of the church. Uh, it was well known at the time Paul wrote this. So uh, once we get through about the first part of the first sentence, we're, we're into this hymn. Uh, and and this, is, uh, this is stuff that goes back in very early in the life of the church. Uh, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, in the Greek, when you read that, the word form there is uh, the word morph or morphos, depending on which uh, version you read. And so just, just hold on to that because we're going to see that word show up again here in a minute. But there's this uh, passage where, you know, the, the, the Christ who is, is in the form, he is of God and becomes like one of us. And, and that statement in and of itself, um, I mean, it, it's pretty remarkable for most of us, but, but I, want, I want to kind of expand you a little bit this morning in your understanding of that and uh, kind of stretch your brains a little bit, hopefully, with this. Um, and we have the, the Hubble telescope uh, right now, and interestingly enough, we had somebody at 930 who's working on the web, which is the next one that's going to replace the Hubble, that's going to be uh, even more amazing. But the Hubble has been sending us back images for several years now that they go far beyond whatever, you know, what we ever saw before because it's outside of the, the confusion of light in our atmosphere. And so it can reach out and, and picture images from much further away. And as it does that, it's, it's kind of expanded our, our understanding of the, the size and the distances and the time involved in the universe as it's been able to, uh, to capture a light from much further away. And we've begun to understand a lot of things. Uh, for one thing, a lot of what we see at night when we look up and we think are stars actually are other galaxies. Uh, there, there's millions more than what we thought we knew. Uh, the distances uh, are, are much greater than we thought. We're capturing light now that literally is coming from billions of years away. And sometimes uh, when you look up at the night sky, what you're seeing is actually the picture of something that happened billions of years ago, sometimes even before the earth was formed in its current form, because it's taken that long for that light to get here. Uh, and so you had this, this tremendous expanse of distance that I don't know about you, but it, it really, you know, I, I can conceptually get it, but I can't really get a hold of it, you know, mentally. Uh, it it kind of goes beyond the borders of my imagination. And, and then, you know, things get worse. You see, there's this thing called the theory of everything, the unified theory of everything that uh, astrophysics people have been working on where they're trying to make all of this kind of make sense and hold together. And one of the problems is that, that the numbers don't balance. 
So, uh, you know, when, when they run the numbers, what they find is, the, you know, computing the different forces at work in the universe. Uh, if you were just looking at it, for some reason, uh, it really should be contracting, but it's not. It's expanding. Gravity is just not as strong as it should be. It's not holding things together the way it should be. And they've been trying to figure out why that is. And so they've come up with something called brain cosmology, B-R-A-N-E, cosmology. And, and part of this is that uh, the, the theory here is that there is another dimension to space that you and I don't perceive, and it's called the bulk. Now, I think that's unfortunate because it makes the universe look fat, but you know that's what they call it, the bulk. And, and, and the bulk is out there, and so the bulk dilutes gravity into this other dimension, and that's why the universe continues to expand. But what it means is when you look up, and, and as, as much as we understand the vastness of this, you're still not getting the whole picture. There's still a lot more beyond what we see and understand. And, and so in the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and, and, and the Word defined everything that was. All things were created through the Word, and without that Word, nothing was created that was created, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, you picture this, this vastness that goes beyond what we can even get our heads around, and all of that vastness, the Word, pours itself out and is born in the midst of us in human form. I, I have a friend who, talking about the incarnation, was trying to help us uh, kind of get a hold of it one time. And he said, well, you know, he said, it's kind of like, like if I decided to preach the gospel to the cockroaches of the world. Because, you know, cockroaches are going to take over the world. I mean, that's kind of an established fact. They are. He says, you know, and so, you know, every night I go in the kitchen to preach it. And as soon as I hit the light and try to preach it to them, they all run away. Which is what cockroaches do. He said, so I'd have to think, oh, maybe if I became a cockroach, they'd listen to me. He says, it's kind of like God did that kind of thing. And, and my only thing is now as I'm thinking about it, I, I think, you know, that really it just isn't extreme enough. You know, I mean, what God did is even more extreme than that. That God chooses to come and, and pour himself out and, and empty himself and come into the midst of our world. And as if that's not enough, when, when Jesus gets here, he doesn't do, you know, the kind of thing like, well, you know, I know I look like a person, but really I'm God. You know, he doesn't do that, right? It's not like that. But rather, he says things like this, you know, truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And there's this, this deep pouring out and humility of love that takes place in this event that actually goes beyond what most of us can really fully conceptualize. And part of why it's so difficult for us is that it's, it's really it's the polar opposite of what we're used to. What we do in our world is we like to build ourselves up, right? We want to make something of ourselves. We use that language, right? I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to, I'm going to achieve wealth and power and prestige and, and position in the world. And, and this is what we do. It, it's, it's almost the polar opposite of what we see in Christ. And, and, and you see that all through Scripture as well as in our modern day. It's nothing new. We've been doing this for thousands of years. If you go back into Second Chronicles, uh, there's a story about a king named Uzziah. Uh, and, and he's one of those kings that we don't 
talk about a whole lot, but he's actually one of the great kings of Israel. Um, and so uh, Chronicles tells us that uh, he was 16 years old when he began to reign. I mean, he's, that's pretty young. He's 16 years old. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Now, aside from the fact that that means he lived like 20 years longer than almost anybody lived back then, uh, the fact that he reigned 52 years is pretty amazing. Because if you study the history of that period of time, what you'll find is kings seldom last longer than like 15 years before somebody displaces them or kills them. He reigns 52 years. I mean, the man is held in tremendous respect by everyone around him. Uh, He's one of the great kings of Israel that we often don't hear about. I mean, he reigns 52 years. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, the prophet, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Goth and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. He built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. I mean, this is a great king. Until he wasn't. And when he had achieved all of this and he conquered the Philistines and was ruling, he came to the height of his power. But when he had become strong, he grew proud to his destruction. He grew so enamored of himself that he decided, you know, I don't need those priests in the temple. I can just go in there and do the offering for the people myself because I'm that great a king. I don't need those others to tell me what to do. And, and, and he kind of single-handedly began to take over everything in the government and everything in the religion because he was so great. And the people became disenchanted with him. And he was basically quarantined in his quarters until the time of his death. And his son was put in power to replace him because his pride and his arrogance had taken him away from God. You know, that's kind of the story of of, of who we are, isn't it? Right? I mean, this is is what we do. We build ourselves up. We build ourselves up and we decide that we're all that. and, And then we don't need God anymore. Uh, if you uh, have been around here when, uh, when J.D. was uh, here last summer, you saw a curve that looked something like this. He said, this is what the world teaches us to do. You know, we start, well, maybe. Let's try it again. There it goes. We start down here, and, and we work hard to build ourselves up. You know, we, we accumulate. We accumulate power and prestige and wealth and position, and people respect us, and, and we get to be all of that. And the danger then is we decide that we don't need God anymore. Because I'm so wonderful. I'm so great. I can do it all. I don't need God anymore. And as soon as we get to that point, then we begin to fall. We begin to fall. As Proverbs tells us, reminds us, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. I mean, Isaiah falls from power. And, and, and if you haven't connected the name before, you might remember that it's in the year that King Isaiah died that Isaiah, the prophet, receives his call. Matter of fact, that's what he tells us. The year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord. That's when he receives his call to prophesy to the people Israel of their fall. Because not only does Uzziah fall from power himself, but he takes the whole country down with him. And within a few years of his death, they'll be in exile in Babylon. 
So Jesus in Mark's gospel remembers <laughs> Isaiah's words and his prophecy about what happens in that kind of pride. Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. When we rise to that point and we begin to think that we have it all figured out and we know and God is not important anymore, that's when we began to fall. And what Jesus shows us is the exact opposite of that. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God as something to be grasped, exploited, held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. He pours himself out. He does the exact opposite. And in pouring himself out, God lifts him up. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When, when Jesus pours himself out, God exalts him. When we follow that example and pour ourselves out, then the power of God is lifted up. Paul would write to the church in Rome and say it like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform. There's metamorph. To be transformed, to go from the caterpillar to the butterfly, to have that transformation take place, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Don't think more highly of yourself, but each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This call to humility, this call to, to pouring yourself out. You know, uh, we, we in the Christian church, you know, are, are one of our great dangers, you know, is we, we talk about humility and then we become proud of it, don't we? I'm so proud I'm humble. I'm not like him. He's so arrogant. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you just compare yourself to someone else and, and decide that you're better than that person and yet that's why you're humble? I mean, this is what we do. And it's so easy for us to slip into. And, I, you know, it doesn't really matter what your faith, you know, whether you're on the liberal or the conservative or whatever, you know, it's real easy for us to go there in a hurry. Boy, thank God I'm not like that one. I'm so humble. What a wonderful thing. So, so Paul, you know, I mean, Paul has to, to write and, and, you know, remind, I mean, he writes the church in Ephesus, listen, be imitators of God as beloved children. And if you're going to imitate God, what would that look like? Well, Jesus says it might look something like this. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have that same love that pours itself out, that offers itself up even to the point of death out of love for one another. And that's what we're called to. But that's not what the world around us does. And we need to hear the, the, the dissonance between what the world calls us to and what God calls us to. Because the world is always pulling on us. 
You know, a couple of years ago, uh, Mike Slaughter did a thing, and, and it was called, uh, you know, whose birthday is it anyway? He said, you know, imagine that, that it's your birthday, and you go to the birthday party, and there's all your friends are there, everybody's there, they're having a great time, uh, and they all bring presents for each other, and they all talk to each other, but you don't get any presents and no one talks to you. How are you going to feel at the end of that party? And he said, isn't that what we do at Christmas a lot of times? You know, it's Jesus' birthday, but we all turn it into being all about us, all about what we want and what we need and what makes us feel good. And Jesus kind of gets left out of the, out of the picture. He said, what would happen if we decided to make it really, this is, this is Jesus' birthday, and we were to ask the question, what do you think he'd like to have? What would Jesus like to get? I mean, he's kind of dropped us some hints, hasn't he, about what that might look like. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. What if we decided, what if we decided maybe to, to make it more about Jesus? You know, we hit the point a few years ago, we're getting ready to have Christmas, with all of our extended family gathering and everything. And, and, and you know, you're, you're doing that thing where you're trying to think of what to get people. I, I don't know if maybe you're not, but, you know, it's like a major headache for me. You know, what do we get people? Because, you know, really, we're kind of at the point where we really don't need a lot more stuff. You know, so, so what do you get? Some, and, and especially, you know, I'm thinking about my, my, you know, my parents who are my mother and was still alive at that point. My, she and my stepfather, they've merged two households together. So they have two of everything under the sun. And so what do you get them? I mean, and it's like they don't need anything. Not only do they not need anything, they don't have any place to put anything else. So what do you do? And about that time, uh, you know, Mike is talking about this and, and I'm hearing that and I'm thinking, you know, what if instead of getting stuff for each other, you know, we did try that. Let's try to do that. And, you know, you, you learn something when you do that. There, there's really, you know, there's a, a lot more joy in, in protecting a family from malaria for a year. There's a lot more joy in providing medical care for someone. There's a lot more joy in feeding a family. There's a lot more joy in housing a family than there is in getting something that you have to figure out what to do with and where to put and how to smile and say thank you. And you didn't really want that anyway. There's so much more joy in, in actually doing a gift and giving a gift that Christ would love. So I want to encourage you to think about that as you move into Advent. Um, We've been doing this a couple of years where we talk about gifts for Jesus. And in broad brushstrokes, this is the really broad picture, uh, think about things like being in prayer for someone inside the church and someone outside the church, for a concern inside the church, a concern outside the church. Worshiping, coming to worship Christ uh, here in, in, on Sunday mornings, but also for Christmas Eve and participating in a learning opportunity. Uh, giving gifts to support uh, the, the budgeted ministry of the church. That's the backbone of all the ministry that we do. And commit to give at least 10% of your Christmas gift budget to either the Christmas Eve offering or Matete or another one of the mission efforts or one of your favorite mission efforts. Uh, serve in, in one volunteer opportunity inside the church and one outside. A witness by sharing your faith with someone who needs Christ and bringing at least one person to worship with you during this time of the year. Uh, reaching out and sharing those things. And, and, and as you're doing those, uh, you'll find in your bulletin a, a more... Um, 
complete list or longer list with a lot more ideas. It's printed on the insert of your bulletin. It's also on the website. So there's plenty of ideas out there. You can kind of go through and see uh, what of that feels right for you uh, as an appropriate gift for you to offer Christ as we prepare for his birth, uh, the celebration of his birth. And in the midst of that, I'm just going to remind you that, you know, the danger is, again, (laughs) it's really hard not to get kind of proud of what you do. Well, I'm so humble. I'm just so proud of myself. <laughs> I did such a great job with that. And, and, you know, it's really easy for us to go there and forget that, that, you know, it really isn't about us in this season. It really is about God in Christ and the offering of God's love for us in Christ. And Paul reminds us uh, as he writes from prison, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He doesn't say, I can do all things because I'm so wonderful and I'm so amazing. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And when he writes to the Corinthians about uh, whatever his thorn in the flesh is, uh, he says, three times I appealed to the Lord about about this, that it would leave me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I will boast of my weaknesses. Uh, Coming to understand that whatever we do in humility, we boast of our weakness because it's the power of God that we want people to see. Um, I've got a colleague in Britain, and he tells the story of a friend of his who came home from work one day, and his young daughter, two, three years old, is waiting for him, and, uh, and she's going, Daddy, can we have a fire? Now, you know, the weather we've had like the last couple of days is, you know, pretty typical over there in the wintertime. And, and so it's cold and, and he, he's tired, but he kind of goes, well, okay. So, you know, he gets the wood and gathers everything up and puts it in there and, and gets the paper that they're going to use to start it with and lights it and puts it under there. But, but, you know, the little girl then knows you have to blow on it to get it to go. And so she decides to help. So she goes over and she starts to blow on the fire. <laughs> And it's mostly spray and spit, you know, that's going out, you know, and everything. But, but she's trying to help, you know, and she keeps that up. And, and then it catches. And it begins to burn. And she turns around. She goes, look, Daddy. And he says, yeah. And she goes, ta-da. <laughs> and he doesn't tell her that while she's going, he's standing over her blowing into the fire. And her mom doesn't tell her. You know, when we lapse into the more immature side of our faith, a lot of times we get to be like that. You know, we're, we're just spitting and sputtering at everything we do, but we think it's all about us. You know, ta-da, aren't we wonderful? When, when the truth is that it's really about the breath of God. And when we enter into this place of humility, we begin to know that all we do is kind of spit and sputter in the midst of this world. But it's the breath of God that gives life and power and fire to it. I'll boast all the more of my weakness because in my weakness, that's where your power is made evident. So as you move into this Advent season and you think about what is an appropriate way for me to celebrate the birth of Christ, be on guard against that loss of humility that causes us to stand up in front of other people and go, ta-da! Instead, understand that whatever you do, it's really God's breath, God's spirit 
that's giving the power in life. And that in your weakness, God's power is made evident. And God's power in God's life is what the world longs to see. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you for the gift of your love. That you would pour yourself out for us. That you would come into the midst of our world and our suffering and enter into everything that we live through and even offer yourself in death for us. And we thank you for that great love. And we ask that you open our hearts and our minds to understand that that all that we do is, is just sputtering and allow us to to lower ourselves and in humility to pour ourselves out in that same kind of love. That in our weakness, your life and your power and your love might be made known to this world. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.